welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Last week, Bill preached a remarkable sermon. And if you miss it, you have to podcast. It won't do you justice because what he did was he didn't waste a single word or sentence. And I sat there yesterday or last week going, how do I preach like that? Because <laughs> there's a lot of additional fluff in my sermons um, compared to his remarkable 30-minute sermon. But uh, I've got something because the text today that I, I, I'm preaching through is so significant. And um, we're going we're gonna to preach this together, I think. But I wanted to say that um, we're in Ephesians because as we are coming out of 2021, which was remarkably challenging for many of us, I thought, how do we remind ourselves of who we are as the church? In a world that is changing rapidly, perfect illustration, perfect timing. In a world filled with crisis, in a culture society, in the cities we're around that continues to divide us and, and pull us apart, how do we come together and remind ourselves who we are? And we picked Ephesians because this is that book. This is that book that Paul writes to tell you who God is, what, what he's done in Christ, and then in response to that, here's how you live your life. And that's what this book is about. So in this moment of attention economy, where we live with 140 characters, uh, character tweets, TikTok videos, and we binge watch content, content that lead us into oblivion, we have to anchor ourselves, form ourselves around the word of God. And so we're reading verse by verse. We're teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. I love what Eugene Peterson says when it talks about the church. He says this, church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to Jesus, to the Jesus inaugurated kingdom of God in the world. So we are the strategy of the Holy Spirit to bring about a witness of the physical resurrection um, of God's kingdom expanding in the world. That's you and the person next to you. Look to the person next to you and say, you're the Holy Spirit strategy. And I, maybe not that person, but the other person. I'm going to switch if that's all right. All right, let's use this one today. Um, Ephesians chapter one, we're introduced to the, uh, sorry, chapter two, we're introduced to this epic uh, story that Paul goes from this uh, chapter one, this cosmic picture of what God has been doing in Christ, what, what, how the cosmos are going to be unified under the headship of Jesus. And then there's this abrupt transition and Paul goes straight for the jugular. He says to us, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins, which you have lived when you followed the ways of, those, of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Wow. So there's three parts to this sermon. Part number one is the problem. You are the living dead. Paul makes it perfectly clear, apart from Jesus Christ, you're dead. 
You're dead in your transgressions and sins. You're living in a way that you've missed the mark. You are walking down the road and it's the wrong road. You are lost. You have lost your way. You have slipped into things that don't belong. You've chosen to live outside of God's design, outside of God's desire. You are following the ways of this world. Apart from Jesus, you're dead. Let me just say that again. Apart from Jesus, you're dead. Not only are you dead, you are enslaved to your desires of the flesh. You are gratifying the things of the flesh. Now, he says that you are following the ways of the world. You followed the ways of the world. I think this is so important. We need to get this into our mind as we live life. In our current Christian context, we do not have a warfare worldview. We don't have a spiritual warfare worldview. We have this idea because of the enlightenment and reason in scientific revolution that we have, because we believe physical is real, spiritual, we can't prove it, so it's not real. That's based on the enlightenment and the progression of culture throughout the last few hundred years in Western context. But we have to adopt a spiritual warfare worldview. This idea that our world is shaping us. Now, before I talk about the spirit, we can all agree that culture and society forms our values. Would you agree? Every day you walk into the world, you live um, bombarded by ideas and concepts. You're living your everyday life, whether it's books that you read, whether it's social media outlets that you scroll through, whether it's where you curate the information that you receive in in the news media. Like what we don't understand is you have an app, let's say you have an app to read your news. That is using algorithms and and AI technology to curate what you want. And most of the media today is curating division, outrage, and clickbait uh, forms of, uh, of media. They're trying to draw your attention and keep you on their devices. So you're formed by media, you're formed by the news that you listen to, the podcasts that you live you listen to your form by your family systems, the families, the neighborhoods, and the context. It's not hard to recognize that LA County is different than Orange County. Would you agree? This was revealed through the last two years of COVID restrictions, mask mandates, and we saw red communities and blue communities uh, come out of nowhere in ways that were, they were obviously there, but all of a sudden our our views of politics, our views of where we get information, our views of science or whatever it is, they became strongholds in our life where we, we actually moved to other cities that reflected our political ideology. Never in history have we done it so much in the, than in the last two years. We're being shaped by the world we live in. It's how we interact and it has so much power. I love what Carl Truman says in his book, the rise and triumph of the modern self. At his end and conclusion, he says, human nature may not change in the sense that we are always made in the image of God, but our desires and our deep sense of self are in fact shaped in profound ways by the specific conditions of the society in which we actually live. That iPhones were not available to Shakespeare does not make the desires associated with them somehow imaginary. He makes this case 
that uh, science and technology and society pull on these deep desires that are always found in the human condition, whether a few hundred years ago when Shakespeare writes his plays or currently. The idea that society and culture is shaping us is so clear. A few weeks ago, we talked about Hellenism. Hellenism culture, the Greek worldview and philosophy, shaped the conditions of Ephesus, and it produced the largest slave trade in the Roman Empire. Culture and worldview, narratives and entertainment produced economic outcomes of slavery. Are you with me? This is what Paul's referring to as being shaped by the world, the ways of the world. And let me just go further. He goes on to say, you follow the ways of this world. And then he says, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul will make it clear over and over again in this, in this text in Ephesians that we have an enemy church. That the cultural world, the, the society and culture we lived in, live in is influenced not just because of these people in power, presidents, governors, mayors, tech CEOs, those people have, uh, have a darker power that influences them. Like, wow, the pastor's getting real serious. Like, Teletubbies are of the devil. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, there's no neutral territory. The Bible is so clear that there are spiritual beings impersonal and personal spiritual beings, demons, powers, principalities, spirit, kingdom of the air, at work in this world, contesting the kingdom of God. When Jesus says, pray, God's kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the assumption is there are places on earth where God's desire and will and reign are not yet fully experienced and realized. Our task is to partner and join with God in establishing and bringing about his way of life into those places. So we pray in Ukraine, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in war-torn countries. At the same time, we say, Lord, in Russia as it is in heaven, we will not make Russia the enemy in the Christian church because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are children of God. We will not make an enemy out of Russia because they are children of God too. We know there are powers at work. Yes, there's powerful people that have authority over us, but there are also demonic being stirring up wars and poverty and human slavery. Do you, are you guys with me? Thank you. I'm so glad. Some of you, this is new. But what you have to understand is that the, the warfare worldview is found in scripture. Here's a, here's a, a way of looking at what Paul says. So before Christ, you are there in the center and right around you is the world around you. When I say the world, I'm saying Long Beach, Costa Mesa, the context you find yourself, the environment, the schools, the family systems, your neighborhood, um, the coffee shops you go to, but also the curated digital life 
the, the media, the Netflix, the Hulu, the Disney Plus, Fox News, CNN, all of those narratives are part of the world you are swimming in. And all of those things are also surrounded, surrounded by the kingdom of the air. The powers at work in this world to challenge the will of God. This is a spiritual warfare worldview. What we see in scripture is that there are evil beings who can do and negatively affect us in a, in a similar way to people who have authority over us like princes, queens, queens, uh, kings, governors, presidents, or bosses. And Paul wants us to not be unaware. He wants us to be aware of these cosmic realities that are influencing us. So when we stand in Ephesian times or later on in the gospel of John or in John's epistles or in Revelation, what you see is the unveiling of the things behind the superpowers. Please lean in. I'm trying to get you to understand. There are powers at work in Netflix. In the same way, there are powers at work in public schools through systems. There are powers at work in your phone. There are powers at work in the lies you've lived since you were a child. And you haven't been able to create new neural pathways. And the enemy created a highway of insecurity. And now you partner with the enemy, not believing what's true about yourself. Do you see how the enemy works? He can come at you and, and later on we'll learn that spiritual warfare is not about flesh and blood. It's about powers. And so our fight is not against flesh and blood. It can feel like flesh and blood though. He has power to make us sick. He has power to make us feel emotionally unwell and um, unstable. He has power to create division. We'll talk about that in the future. All I want you to understand is the problem is that we have been following the ways of the world and behind the world culture and the stuff, the stuff we're swimming in is this architecture of powers and principalities that are formed against the way, way and will of God. And you, because of this, are not only influenced by the world, but you are enslaved to your cravings of the flesh. The Greek word for gratifying means to desire what is wrong or forbidden. So you as a, as a person apart from Christ are enslaved to your sexual desires, but also your anger, your envy, your rage, the dissensions, the divisions, the self-ambitions, corrupted thoughts and actions. How many of you know, apart from Christ, this is what would define your life? And what we do outside of the church is we find uh, ways to be saved from ourselves. So we do yoga. We, we do that juice cleanse, 75 and hard or whatever it is, 75 hard, that new ridiculous workout for 75 uh, days, 75 minutes a day. It's the most insane. We do diets and cleanses and we do soul cycle because we feel connected to this community. All of this is trying to provide the solution to a problem that is not met by a physical reality. It is a spiritual reality. You are enslaved. So there's three issues that we see. Um, the three issues are, number one, you are dead. You are dead in your transgressions and sin. Number two, you are enslaved to those things. And number three, Paul goes on and he says, you are found guilty and you deserve wrath. You stand condemned. How are we doing, church? Like, what happened to you, Jonathan Edwards? 
Sinners in the hand of an angry God. Ah! This is a problem. This is the gospel. Let me just say a quick thing about wrath, because we don't really talk about that. We talk about God's love all the time, and, and that's, that's important. But Paul will say in this moment, not only are you dead, not only are you enslaved, but without Christ, you're condemned. You are, by nature, objects deserving punishment for your crimes. We inherited a dreadful predicament that through sin and through how sin came into this world, we inherited wrath from God. God's wrath is not a bad temper. It's not done out of spite, malice, or animosity, or revenge. It's not arbitrary. It's very predictable. It's not beyond a mood swing or a whim. God is personal, it's righteous, and he has a constant hostility towards evil. It is uh, his settled refusal to compromise with evil. He has resolved to destroy it because it limits and inhibits his desire for life on earth. So his wrath is connected to his love. This is hard to understand, but if you have a child, it's very easy to understand. Because I love my boy. I love both my sons. And if somebody did something to my boy, it is a very natural, loving response to have anger. Would you agree? To desire justice for the people that you love. God's love requires righteousness and justice. So, you're dead, you're enslaved, and you deserve to be condemned through God's wrath. You stand guilty. But then there's this little word called in the in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 it says but listen to this this is so profound this is this is it for us guys this is it but because of his great love oh it's a really good but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Whoo! His love triumphs over his wrath. His wrath is just, is righteous, is out of a good, loving character of a good father. A good father cares about the injustice. Can I get an amen? But because of the injustice, because that we were dead, because we would look for solutions everywhere in our own strength, because it was ruled by powers and principalities, God did something about it. He acted towards us before we can even get our act together. This is grace. This is grace. This is grace. All of the church, this is grace. We can't possibly do anything to earn our way to a place where we don't deserve wrath. To get out of, a, out of the fact that we want to gratify those desires. We, it's not hard to do the wrong thing. It's hard not to do the wrong thing. 
because we've been conditioned by this world to focus on these cravings. And when we act outside of that, it seems barbaric. What do you mean sexual purity? Our world says, no, you are an animal. Biology says you should just enjoy it for pleasure's sake. But we say, no, it's created for a purpose. It's, I was created in the image of God. And these rules of life have, have a way of operating and flowing. And one of those rules is purity and covenant to another person. God acted first. He moves first. The nature and character of the essence of God is love. And so we carry this image wherever we go. Sacrificial love triumphs over his wrath and God provided a way out. This must be the image we carry of God. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of kingdom life. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of what God is like. The cross is the cruciform image that we see the rest of the world. We deserve to be on there. We are, he, he is justified to pour out his wrath on us, but instead he takes the place. He takes our place and provides a way out. This is the gospel. We move in Christ from death to life. We move from slavery to freedom. This is that word, saved. Have you been saved by God? Have you made a commitment to put your faith in the resurrected Christ and in that commitment chosen for the rest of your life to live after Jesus, not knowing everything and what that would mean, but now setting your sights on Christianity as I'm going to follow Christ and for the rest of my life, I'm going to move that way. The moment you make that confession, you believe that and you set your heart in that, you are saved by God. That word is salvation. The Greek word is sozo. Sozo. You have been sozoed by faith. You have been, um, let me just pull it up real quick. So it is by grace, it is by grace, God's divine mercy that you have been sozoed. That word sozoed means salvation. It means healed and it means delivered. So salvation is more than just forgiveness of sins. Yes, it is that. Salvation is not a simple ticket to heaven when you die. Salvation is not just a penalty paid and freedom from God's wrath. Salvation is not just what happens when you die. Salvation is so much bigger than that. It's a full transformed life into wholeness. This is what Jesus' message was all about. When the woman comes to Jesus, who's bleeding for 12 years, she says, um, if I could just touch his cloak, I will be sozoed healed. When in Luke chapter 8, verse 36, the demon-possessed man, it says uh, in verse 36, those who had seen it um, told people how the demon-possessed man had been sozoed. Salvation saved from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from brokenness to wholeness, from oppression to liberation, from anxiety to peace. This ministry is about rescue, deliverance. It's about being set free. It's about being made well. It's about being cured. It's about new life in its totality in Christ Jesus. Are you with me, church? Salvation is about life before death. Let's look at this image. Oh, it's gone. Oh, no, it's not. It's just my thing's gone. Let's look at this image. So Paul says, 
in Christ, uh, you are these things. Now, your life is centered, hidden in Christ. We did this talk a few weeks ago. And you now live in this tension where you are present in the kingdom of the air and the world. You live in that space. And you are also present in the heavenly realms. Okay, so you live in this dichotomy of the kingdom of God that has come and the kingdom of God that has not yet fully come. You live in this tension of the kingdom of heavens being released into this world where healing will come, salvation will come, where that anger that has crippled you since childhood will be set free and cured. At the same time, you live in this present world reality where death is a reality, where anxiety is a reality, depression is a reality, hunger is a reality, war is a reality. And you live now hidden in Christ as this beacon of what's to come right in the midst of this present age. But do you know who you are? Paul says, you, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Our current present reality is with Christ seated in the heavenly realms. Let's just, let's just, posh, let's just think about this for a moment. So the, I'm going to get a, a stool. So without Christ, you're dead and you're enslaved and you deserve wrath. In Christ, now this is a horrible way. Imagine this is a throne. <laughs> I, I, this is its better side. There you go. So imagine that's the throne. And, and now where, where, where the world wants you to get to a place to earn this, right? You got to do all this stuff. You got to get your life together. You got to stop sinning. You got to stop doing this thing. You got to confess. You got to do all these spiritual tasks, these, you know, spiritual double dutch and climb the spiritual ladder and do all these things to experience purity. Jesus does all of that. And now by a sheer act of God, we start our spiritual journey in a posture of rest seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Oh, wait, wait, wait. My work keeps sending me emails and it's creating anxiety. Am I coming from a place of rule and reign and rest? Or am I stepping into the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of the air and responding from anxiety and performance? Oh yeah, that's good. That's the image Paul gives us that when we, when we imagine what God thinks of us, we're like, but, but you don't know, Darren, the things I was doing last night, they are gratifying the desires of the flesh, the worst possible things you can imagine. Yeah, I, I get it. But until you get this, until you get this is what God sees. Until you get that you are in Christ, saved by grace, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Until you live from this solid sense of security in Christ, none of that's going to change. The solution 
So the problem, dead, enslaved, needing wrath, wrath condemned. The solution, Jesus. The solution, grace. The solution, God moves towards us first. And we now partner with him in living from that reality of restful rule. That's good. We've been raised up. And we've talked about now how do we, how do we work this stuff out? How do we learn um, to live into this reality? And we've talked about this. Discipleship is a process of shifting people from the culture, culture's beliefs and practices of this world to the culture, beliefs, and practices of the kingdom of God. Theologically, once you put your faith in Christ, you have been made perfect in Christ. Your spirit is perfected in Christ. However, the actual working out of your salvation and your beliefs and behaviors takes time. Right? Paul will say in Romans, uh, it's dead. You have died with Christ on the cross. Therefore, crucify um, the desires of the flesh. In other words, he says, the, the old self is dead on the cross. It has been crucified but keep on crucifying it, right? And, and we don't live out of this need of performance. We live out of this understanding that we are saints and we are holy in Christ. And now based on that identity, we begin to perform. We begin to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter two says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is it? Work out your salvation. Wait, we're saved by grace. Yes. But how many of you still struggle? I'll just say amen by myself over here. How many of you are wishing there's that that thing right now? Like as I say it, there's that one thing that you're like, this is the thing I want out of my life. Yeah. Like if if I could just get rid of that. If, If I could just, if I could just, if I can do this stuff. So we start with here. Okay. No, 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 you're saved by grace. And now, from this posture of rest, you step into the heavenly realities of the resources of heaven available to you. The same spirit of Christ that raised, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. How are we doing? Now, from here, we partner with God in grace. Grace is the thing that God does in us that we can't do in our own strength. We partner with him. Grace is not, as Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So we partner with God in spiritual disciplines and practices to be renewed in Christ. God is acting. Can you put that that back up there for me? Um, Grace is God acting in our life to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. So now we partner, and we've done so much on this. And if you go to the foundations class today, another plug for that, you'll read about our philosophy of discipleship, that this philosophy of transformation takes time. You replace um, false beliefs with true biblical ideas and narratives and teaching. You replace unhealthy practices with spiritual disciplines. You go from uh, lack of intentional relationships to meaningful covenantal community, from being influenced by an environment of culture to being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Over a long period of time, you'll see yourself for the rest of eternity looking more and more like Jesus. So that thing you want to change. God, it gives you grace to partner with him in that transformation.
You guys good? Number one, you're dead. Number two, solution. <laughs> I love that. Number three, the response. Verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. So can we just focus on this? Our response, the only fitting response, is to now step into faith. Faith is where we, um, I'm just going to skip a bunch of this for the sake of time. Faith is the human response by which God's salvation is received. Faith is the human response by which God's salvation is received. It's not just this idea that we talk about like a subject somewhere off in a distant place. It's not some intellectual concept. It's a, a pledging of trust. It's a stepping in with confidence. It's our life is now entering into this reality, and we are now standing, sitting, walking, or as um, one scholar says, we're now relaxing into the truth of what God has given us. That he says we are saved through faith, so we believe, which our belief is now living, it's active, it's dynamic, it's walking out this idea and concept in, in, in our everyday ordinary life. It's standing in the reality of what we've come to believe is true. Every new spiritual experience begins with simply an acceptance of faith of what God has already done. So our faith is that Jesus died on the cross and he, he's raised from the dead and that we are saved through that belief and that confession and putting our faith in there, and that our only response is now to, to believe in that with our whole life and resources and now live out of that reality. This morning, I picked up someone in our youth that our family's been friends with for a while, and on the way here, we were talking about faith. And um, I just was like, hey, you know, it's so cool that you've been coming to our church for like a while now, and what do you think about Jesus, you know? And she started telling me, and then uh, my son was sitting in the back, and, and um, she's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm for it, basically. And I'm like, oh, so rad. Do you want to get baptized? She's like, yeah, I want to get baptized. I'm like, I was like, I just, I was like holding it together. I'm like, okay, don't, don't cry. Be cool. <laughs> like a teenager, I'm like, be cool. Like, I know my, I know my pants aren't baggy anymore. I know... I don't know what Phineas and Ferb is or whatever it is. I, don't, I know I'm, I'm, I'm way older. I don't fit into the young adults anymore. I'm going to be cool. And I text my wife. I'm like, babe, you will never believe this. And I was just so overwhelmed. I feel like we need to be reminded of the miracle of salvation. That you sit here in a community that believes Jesus is raised from the dead. And everything else in the world comes around that confession. And you might be here and you've never made that confession. When I talk about yoga and, and diets and kombucha, you're like, that's my soul cycle. That's my church. That will never save you from what you, the problem you face. Jesus is the only solution to your problems. Jesus is the only solution to the fact that you will never be satisfied on this planet with money, with fame, with, right, with relationships with people, with things and comfort and security or education. That is a, a, just a hole that will keep growing until you meet the living God who created you. And this living God is not angry. 
He's not upset. He's not disappointed. He's not standing, trying to judge you. He provided the way out and he wants to cover you from all of those things. And not only that, he wants to transform your life here. Not just so that when you go into this other place, which actually you don't go to this other place, the other place comes here. Just so you know, better theology, heaven comes to earth. But right now, you can be saved from your addiction. You can be delivered from your affliction. You can be healed and transformed here and now from the inappropriate anger that has consumed your life because of childhood traumas. That Jesus is interested in neural pathways being transformed and anxiety being transformed and your relationship to your spouse being transformed and your relationship to your distant father being transformed and your relationship to substances being transformed. He is as interested into the career choice, into the dreams, into your hobbies, into your finances, into every aspect of your life because he created you on purpose and he desires for you to flourish in a way that's not striving, but in a way where you just sit down and relax and you just be who you were created to be. Not somebody who's learned to listen to the voice of culture that's saying whatever uh, is inside of you is your deepest truth. Actually, Jesus wants to show you what truth is and allow you to transform your life around that capital T truth. This is the gospel. This is what we stand to believe. This is what we've come to know, that Jesus is the solution. Period, full stop, that's it. Our response, faith. Faith, faith looks differently. Some of you, the act of faith is saying, you know, I want to believe Jesus is Lord. I want to confess that publicly. That will be your act of faith today. Some of you have never made that publicly. Some of you, uh, faith today is beginning to recognize that you have been living influence under the powers of this world. And you've given yourself over and you've stopped fighting. Discipleship is battle. And it's time to fight again. God's awakening a, a, a spirit of battle cry. Warriors who recognize that this, this territory is not neutral. And we are going after the kingdom of God. And we are going to liberate the captives. He's going to set captives free. And some of you have settled into addiction. God wants to bring breakthrough. I've heard testimony of six years sober. I know people who have been 30 years sober. I know people who are three months sober. I know people that are in recovery. Right now, as we talk about it, going through rehab, we believe you can be set free in this church because of Jesus. Some of you, it's not substances, it's identities. And you've reacted since you were a child to harming yourself because of the insecurity the enemy has forced into your life. And like a demonic puppet, he's caused you to harm yourself, not knowing that you were playing into the things of the air, but he wants to set you free. He wants to heal the scars. He wants to reverse diagnosis conditions that have been embodied for a lifetime, he wants to reverse in this church. He's going to bring healing. Of course he's going to bring healing. We should expect healing on Sunday mornings like we expect prayer, worship, and teaching. Of course, that's where you go to get healed. It shows you in the New Testament. Oh, they're getting too crazy in the spirit. No, we're just living out the Bible. Thank you very much. I'm just a biblical Christian. I don't know what you are. Chosen, frozen. Frozen, chosen, whatever it is. How are we doing? So I want to invite you to respond today. Re respond in faith. To worship. 
I don't know about you, but when I see the kids come in here and stand in front of us, I get a little frustrated. I'm like, they need to be shown how to worship up here. Who's going to show them? Because sometimes at home, my worship looks like, that's not Nintendo, that's a phone. <laughs> You're like, are you playing Nintendo? Is that Super Mario Brothers 3? It's my iPhone. So worship, number two, I just want to say is uh, I want to invite some of you to receive the good news for yourself. Number three, I want you to work out your salvation. That means to come after being healed, being set free and delivered, experiencing joy, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, It was almost exactly 15 years ago to this day that I was filled with the Holy Spirit in London. It was, I think it was the, the 14th tomorrow. 15 years ago, I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. I was a Christian most of my life. I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a moment. I heard God's voice so clearly, and I've been pursuing that God ever since from that day. And it, the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to fill you to bring transformation to your life. So today, some of you need to come forward and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to refresh you, to re-energize you, to see the things that you desire to become into reality. Lastly, I just want to say, um, you need to recognize that we are at war. There's a spiritual warfare. There's a, we have to have a warfare worldview, and you have to be prepared to battle it. It's time to start recognizing the war that's going on. We just launched all these house churches. Do you have any idea the target that's on these guys' back? That God, as he begins to move us towards prayer and intimacy, do you have any idea the, the affliction that's coming against the people of God who are going after these things? And we're like, oh, it's weird that everyone's getting sick all of a sudden. It's not coronavirus or COVID. It's something else, infections and eye things. Of course that's happening. We need you to intercede. We need to step up for the the battle. You guys go with that? All right, can we stand? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.